0: Right. so Revelation chapter 21, the first part of the chapter, uh, gives us probably one of the most exciting, comforting uh, passages there is in the Bible. There is coming a day where there is no more death, sorrow, crime, pain. The former things will be passed away one of these days. And then when he gets to verse 5, I like what it says. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful And I love the way that's stated because the the Word of God, the Scriptures, are so important. They are foundation. They are everything to us. God cares about them more than we even do. This is God's way of communicating to us. And God wanted to assure us of these things that they were going to happen. And so he told John, I want you to do something powerful. I want you to write it. You write it down because these words are true and faithful and these things have been preserved for us. And we know that this day is coming. One of these days, Jesus, he's going to come back. He's going to set everything straight. The bad things are going to go away. And then it says, and he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Salvation is free. The water of life is free. You do not have to do any works. You don't have to achieve any level of goodness, you just have to look and live. You just have to take the drink. You have to eat the bread. You have to believe on Christ for salvation. And it says, He that overcomes shall inherit all things. Overcoming, that sounds difficult. Well, not really, because the Bible teaches who is He that overcometh the world, but He that believeth that Jesus is the Christ. If you can believe that, then you're an overcomer right there. And it says, "And I will be His God, and He shall be My Son. But, here's the... Here's the bad part. Well, if you're saved, we should be very comforted. Just understand, though, that there is something troubling in this passage, because as even though I'm saved, I'm secured, it's done, I'm, I've overcome, I've believed on Christ, I'm sealed in the day of redemption, nothing can change that. I have eternal life. While that is comforting for me personally, I'm not comforted by the fact that that there are those who have not believed. those There are those who have not taken the water of life freely. There are those who are trying to work for their salvation. And the Bible says, For them, but the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And what I want to talk about this morning is the doctrine of eternal Judgment. And in Hebrews chapter six, verse two, we've been referring to this passage every week. It says of the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead. We talked about that last week. And this week we're talking about of eternal judgment. And the subject, this subject is, is probably one of the most unpleasant subjects in all the Bible. It's one that many try to deny. There is a debate out there, just like there is a debate about whether eternal life is actually eternal. Which I think is ridiculous. It's implied in eternal life that once you're saved, you're always saved. It's not eternal life if you can lose it. That's temporary life. And so, but this also, there's those out there who claim that eternal judgment is not eternal judgment. Even though right here it literally calls it eternal judgment. It is an eternal thing. Uh, there's what a lot of people believe they call it annihilationism where once a person is cast into the lake of fire they're just burn up and then they just kind of cease to exist and you know what i'm just going to admit right now i wish that were true i really wish that when people went to hell that was just the end of it for them i don't like the thought of eternal suffering i don't like the thought of eternal damnation i don't like the thought of that but it is reality it's what the bible teaches and you so i don't know if it's that clear well I just I I just want us to take an honest look at the scriptures. I want us to let the words of God influence our thinking, not the words of theologians, not doctrines that we have, you know, aligned ourselves with. Let's just go to the scriptures and let it form our thinking. I believe that's how how we should do all things scripturally. But when it comes to the subject of eternal judgment, when it comes to the subject of hell, our thinking has been so distorted when it, come, when it comes to the subject of hell. For, for one, you know, hell is unpleasant as it is. A lot of people think, well, a loving God wouldn't send people to hell. Yeah, well, a thing is, a holy God would. A just God would send people to hell. But our thinking on hell has been all mixed up. I mean, we, you, how many times have you heard people say, that's as wicked as hell? That doesn't even make sense. Hell is not wicked. It's for the wicked. But it's the righteous judgment of God. And so, one of the reasons people have such a negative feeling, people say false things about it. People will say, it's as hot as hell, making it not as extreme. It's never been as hot as hell. Uh, in any day of summer. Uh, you know, oh, just, you know, I'm just making a, you know, a point. No, don't do that. Now, this subject's too important. People should fear. And and you do. You have people who use hell in an irreverent way. Our world does that. The lost do that. And you say, it's a Bible word. It's fine. No, it's a word that should strike fear into the hearts of people. But it doesn't strike fear in the heart of people. You know why? Because people just use it however they want. I don't believe we ought to do that. I don't believe we ought to just use the name of God however we want. Even though the name of God is in the Scriptures. It's called blasphemy when we misuse His name. We shouldn't misuse the name of God. And when we talk about subjects like hell, it's a serious thing. And it's never been as hot as hell. It's never been as cold. People will say it's as cold as hell. And it's like, what Bible are you reading? I did see a... I've always loved the Christmas Carol story with Ebenezer Scrooge. There is a musical version of that and that um, I forgot. I think it was Charles Finney. Not Charles Finney. I forgot the name of the guy. But anyway... Charles Finney was a preacher, but whoever it was, um, he, when Scrooge went to hell for him, it was super cold because he always kept his office cold. So that was like the punishment for him. And it's just like, this is dumb. It was it was it was one of the sorrier versions of it. But folks. Let's let's stop using hell like that. It doesn't make sense. You know, we're always we compare everything to hell. You know, when we talk about hell, it needs to mean something. When we misuse that word like our world does, when we treat when we're irreverent about these things, it just shows a lack of fear of God. You ought you know, it ought to strike fear into the hearts of lost when they hear that word. They should be offended when they hear that word if they're not going to believe the gospel because that is their future. It ought to it ought to scare them. It ought to offend them. But you know, Christians too. We don't need to use. We're, I'm not going to use that word the way that the world does. You are making up cuss words and stuff. No, I am using. I want to preserve these words. It needs to pack a punch. And I'm tired of punks and I'm tired of shock jocks trying to use Bible words and use strong language in in a punkish way like our world does. It's not effective. It is not profitable. This is a serious subject. And so when we talk, and, and we do, we have to talk about hell. As a preacher, I have to talk about hell. It's, as a soul winner, you're going to talk about hell, and it needs to mean something. And when you do, when you take the subject serious, you're going to use the word properly. I want the world to be scared when they hear this word. But they're not going to. If we're just misusing it, we're not defining it properly, let's use it the way the Bible does. And it just, these people that have no fear of God. It's like you hear them blaspheming. You hear them talking about hell. And it's like, do you not realize you're going to stand before God one of these days and he's going to cast you into hell? You know what? They speak like a fool. And you know, we don't, as Christians, we don't need to speak that way. I'm not impressed by it. And uh, I, I I refuse to participate in it. I, I absolutely refuse to participate in it. And so what I what I want to do in this message instead of debunking all the false ideas that are out there, you know, about annihilationism and stuff like that. I do want to just use the words that God inspired men to write that were intended to put thoughts in our minds and in our hearts. When God inspired men to write the words his words God wanted them to write exactly what He said. He did not want them messing with the words. We see in Revelation, God did not want them adding to or taking away. You know why? Because God's words are meant to put thoughts in your mind. God's words are meant to get you to believe a certain way. And when we start messing with those, you know what we do? We mess with the thought. We mess with the idea. And there is a lot of false ideas out there. And you want to know too, a lot of the false beliefs that are out there are based on a misuse of Bible words too. We don't need to be doing that. We need to use words like repentance properly. We need to use it the way that the Bible uses it. Again, yeah, it's a Bible word. doesn't mean you get to use it however you want. You need to use it the way God used it. That's, that's so important that we do that. And so I want my thinking to be formed by the Scriptures, by the words of God. And so let's just look at what God said about this subject of eternal judgment and see, you know, just you be honest with yourself. Don't let me just tell you what you're supposed to think. You know, you let these words put thoughts in your mind. And we'll see if this judgment is, in fact, eternal, meaning people who get cast in the lake of fire, it will be, they will be uh, consciously experiencing torment forever. I believe that's what it means. And let's see if that's what the Scripture teaches. So 1 John 5.13 Says these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. What John wrote, John wrote the words that he, that God inspired him to write to get us to believe on Christ. That was why he wrote these things. That scripture was written so we will think the right thoughts, so we will have the right beliefs. God wants us to get things right. God wants us to have the right thoughts. And so He is. He speaks very clearly. 2 Timothy 3.15 says, "...and that from a child thou hast known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works." So when it comes to the subject of eternal judgment what did god inspire men to write about this subject what do these words cause us to think in our minds when we read them and so while people try to act like death is the end of a person like that's what our world wants to think when someone dies that's it they want to think when i die that'll be it i'll just cease to exist And so they do. Typically, that's why they live for now. That's why they live for the things of the flesh. I might as well go after everything my heart desires because once I die, that's it. And unfortunately, that is completely false. This is not all that there is. There is something that comes after that physical death. And you know what? The Bible is very clear what it is. Judgment comes after death. It says in Hebrews twenty seven nine twenty seven, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Y'all see that? Now, what do you think when the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die? Everybody dies eventually. But notice it says after this. That tells me death is not the end for us. Judgment comes after death. Death is not the judgment. No, judgment comes after we die. And then it goes on to say, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. This is why we must look to Christ who paid for our sins, who took that judgment for us, who died and was in hell for three days, the Bible tells us. And and so um, while people try to act like death is the end of a person, is that what we see in the scriptures? And that is not the case. No, it says, after this, the judgment. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 20, in verse 11. And we refer to this last week because we talked about the doctrine of the resurrection. There is a resurrection of the just and there is a resurrection of the unjust. If you didn't see last week's sermon, I'm not going to repeat all of that. But the resurrection of the just happens a thousand years before the resurrection of the unjust. And notice what it says in, in verse 11. This is after the resurrection of the unjust. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Notice how these people are standing, but they're still referred to as dead. But even though they're dead, they're standing before God. Why? Because there's a point unto men: once to die and after this, the judgment. It's not the end. The people that we put in the graves... That's not, they're, they're not, it's not over for them. They're still going to stand before God. Now, thankfully, those who are saved, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus intercedes for us and we're judged by His works and not our works and we go, we go into heaven. Thank God for that. Thank God Thank God for that. Listen, I, right now I'm talking about the, we're talking about et- uh, eternal judgment. Okay? We don't have eternal judgment. We have eternal life. Okay? We're talking about eternal judgment. We're, this is for the lost. So this is depressing. Well, you know what? Sometimes we need this motivation to motivate us to go out there and tell somebody about how they can be saved. And so there's this dead, small and greater standing before God. The books were open and another book was open, which is the book of life and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. It looks like the scene that we're seeing here is exactly like what we see described in Hebrews 9. Appointed a man once to die, after this a judgment. We see dead people standing before God being judged. It says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So let me add, if a person didn't cease to exist at the first death, why do we just assume they ceased to exist at the second death? You're just going to have to assume that. Because that's clearly not what we see with the first death. In Revelation 14, 9, says, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So notice, tormented in the presence of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Now, what does that lead you to believe when we see torment and them not having rest day or night? when we see the smoke of their torment ascending forever, you know what that puts in my head? A thought of them being tormented forever. and I don't like it. Guess what, folks? We don't have to like it. We don't have to like it. We have to believe it. It's what the, it's what the Scripture says. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they which keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth yea saith the scripture that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. So notice there is no rest for those who die without Christ, but there is rest for those who die with Christ or who die in Christ. This torment where they have no rest it's for those who uh, receive the mark, which is exactly what we see in Revelation chapter 20. So let's look at some similarities too in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Turn over to Luke chapter 16. And I'm showing you all this to just show that just like, and and even people who believe in annihilationism, they will admit that the people that are in hell right now are experiencing conscious torment. They understand that the first death doesn't mean that they cease to exist. So my question is, why is the second death different than that? Especially when we see the same, we're, we're seeing a very similar explanation those who are tormented in the second death it's in the presence of the lamb and of the angels now what do we see in luke chapter 16 in luke 16 verse 19 it says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day and there was a certain beggar named lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table moreover the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. That's the same word it was using in Revelation. Torments. In hell. In the first death. He seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus' evil things? But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. Lazarus is at rest. What we're seeing there. And beside all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. And Abraham saith unto them, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And folks, we see a similar thing. Notice in hell, in that first death, He's in the presence of Abraham. He's in the presence of the saints. He's in the presence of the saved. It's the, same, it's the same thing. And there, he can see them being comforted. The rich man can. And they can see him being tormented. And it's the same thing we see in the second death. They're able to uh, see this taking place. And it's not a pretty sight. It's torment in both situations. And you know what? You know, There's a great sermon right there. That we can get to just from the rich man praying, send a soul winner. Folks, that's you know what? You ought to think about that when you're out going soul winning. That no matter who you talk to, there's probably somebody in hell praying for a soul winner to come to their house. You know what? That ought to be a motivation. I don't like the people are in hell. Well, you know what? I don't either. Sometimes I feel sorry for them because I'm not as righteous as God is. So you know what? You know what? Do this. When you feel sorry for people in hell, why don't you try to help them out by making sure their family don't go there with them and go tell some more people about Jesus. Folks, that's all we can do. That's literally all we can do and that's what we need to do. You need to tell people about Jesus because Jesus saves. Nobody has to Nobody has to go to hell. Anyone can overcome because all you have to do to overcome is believe on Christ. And so, in hell and in the lake of fire, they're in a state of torment. They're in the presence of the Lord. And people use this fact that they could see each other as proof of, of the Abrahams' bosom doctrine, which is uh, which is foolish, but it's that's the furthest thing from proof. Okay, first off, we don't understand how things work in the spirit world. Okay, we don't. We've never been there. Okay, John in John three nine, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? This is after Jesus telling you must be born again. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel? And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen. And ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, understand, the only one that can really understand what's going on up there is the one who's been up there, and that was Jesus. None of us can picture that, give it an accurate explanation. But as unpleasant as all this is, it's just important that we believe God. It's important that we heed the warnings. We can't pretend that we understand eternity, but just understand the Holy Spirit inspired men to use the same words to describe the length of time for good coming to the believer and bad coming to the unbeliever. I mean, what do you think of when you think of eternal life? I personally think of existing and living forever. That's what I think. That's what I think of. And when I think of eternal judgment, when I think of eternal death, I think of somebody being in that state of death forever. Well, what does that state of death look like? Well, we see it in the scriptures. It's not people ceasing to exist. It's not sleep. That's not what we see. We see that that rich man, as soon as he died in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. He closed his eyes on earth, but he opened, immediately opened his eyes in hell. And I believe that's what happens when a person closes their eyes in death, their eyes open in either heaven or hell. And that's, and so, that's why it's so important we get this message out. Daniel 12:1 says, And at that time shall Michael stand up the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was, since there was a nation, even at that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, that's what we're looking for, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Everlasting contempt. What does that lead you to believe? Have you ever been so embarrassed that you wanted to just go crawl under a rock somewhere? Okay, we use that term. And, and what do we mean when we say that? We want to go hide somewhere to get away from our shame. Okay, that, and we've all probably felt that way before. Well, understand there's a resurrection coming, but it's a resurrection of everlasting contempt. I mean, you're not going to get away from that shame. There is no hiding from it, there is no end to it. Matthew twenty five, forty one says, Then shall he say unto them in the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He says in verse forty six, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And so again some people say, well it just means everlasting is in just it's in final that there's no coming back from it. That's not what these words are leading me to believe. You have to add words. You have to come up with doctrines. You have to come up with concepts that we don't see in the Scriptures. What I'm seeing in the Scripture, what what the thoughts that are coming in my mind from the very words of God is that there is punishment that is everlasting. Meaning, it doesn't end. If a person ceases to exist, that punishment ends. But we're seeing a different thing here. John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Abideth on him. It's like it stays there. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't end. It, it doesn't end. It's like, you know, I am not a cruel person. I am not. And because I am not a cruel person, that is one of the reasons I strongly believe in the death penalty. I think it's foolish to just lock people away forever. It's just like, you know what? Just finish it. Just you know, finish it, get it over with. You know, give the family some closure of whoever they murdered, whatever. You know, just just end this person. Let it be done. But even in that case, that's only just we're done with it here on earth. We don't have to think about it anymore. You know, we we, could, we can move on. But no, here it's saying the wrath of God it abides. It's continually there. John 6:40, and this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son believeth on Him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day. Jump to verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Now, when you look at all these ver- words or verses for everlasting life, we do. We think continually experiencing life. And it's clear... When it uses everlasting, it's, a, it's continually experiencing death. It says in Jude 1-5, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, hath he reserved into chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. So notice that everlasting, everlasting chains. They will last forever. Why do they need chains forever? You know, if they're dead, you know, it's like when when you put a guy to death on earth, you don't have to keep him in jail anymore. You know, he's he's free from that. Take him out of the prison, bury him, burn him, whatever. whatever. But these chains, this punishment, it's everlasting chains. We see in Second Thessalonians one eight or uh, uh, or First Timothy. I'm sorry. First Timothy one sixteen says, how be it for this cause? I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them. Which should have hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Second Thessalonians one eight in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Some people will say well it's just destruction but why does it say it have to emphasize everlasting destruction because it's a continual thing. Every time we're seen everlasting for life, we all agree it means forever. But all of a sudden, when it gets to the bad part, everybody wants to change the meaning of it. No, I think it's pretty clear what we're supposed to think from this. Mark 3.29 says, But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. And so again, what one is forced to do when they see these things is is they have to redefine death. And this is becoming more and more common in churches where people are redefining death. They are not using uh, the Bible's definition of death. They're using man's definition of death. And that's why, too, you even have people who get away with scoffing and laughing at at the idea and calling us heretics for believing that Jesus was in hell for three days. It's because, they're, are you going to kill God? You can't kill God. Wait a minute, are, are you using death the way the world uses it? Like they just cease to exist? Is that how you're using that word? Because that's not the way the Bible uses that word. It is, it's laughable. It's a laughable doctrine if you have conformed to the world's definition of death. But we're using the Bible definition of death. Where do we see in the Bible when somebody is dead that they cease to exist? With a rich man, he died and it was buried, but in hell. He lifted up his eyes. We don't even see anything going on in between. He died, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. He didn't cease to exist. He was still conscious. He knows what's going on. He remembers his family. So again, Jesus, you know, we do. I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. And because that doctrine also makes people uncomfortable. because and, and here's what it comes down to. It's uncomfortable thinking about people going to hell. I will admit it. It's uncomfortable. It's true, but it's uncomfortable. But here's the thing about it. It's like there's a part of us that wants to think maybe it's figurative. Maybe there's something wrong with it. But here's the thing about that. If God let his son go to hell for three days, then why wouldn't he let the lost? It's just one more thing that just confirms what needs to be confirmed in our mind that hell is just as real as heaven. And it's just as eternal as heaven. But it is death, and heaven is life. So, we've got, that's why people are redefining death. And so whenever you hear scholars and theologians scoff at what, you know, we teach on this subject, it's typically because they're using the word death the way that the world does. But that's not the way the Bible uses it. Let's, let's use God's words the way God used those words. You know they think that's just so. You know it's it's horrible because they do. They have it in their mind that hell is wicked. They use the word hell the way our world world uses the word hell, but it's the righteous judgment of God. It is what happens to a sinner who dies in their sin. And Jesus, while he had no sin of his own, he took our sin upon him, and he did in fact die the death of a sinner. And it was it was a horrible experience for him. And so, death in the Bible does not mean one ceases to exist. That's a straw man argument that people often bring up when you talk about the death of Christ. And we believe in the death of Christ. We believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. We believe He was dead. And Mark twelve twenty six says, "And as touching the dead, that they rise." Have you not read in the book of Moses? How in the bush God spake unto him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Therefore, you do greatly err. God saw Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as living, even though their bodies were in the ground, even though they had tombs and they knew where they were, God saw them as living. You know why? Because those men had eternal life. Those men, when their bodies died, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And so they went straight to heaven with the Lord, just like we do. And there's a lot of Baptist teaching that didn't happen in the Old Testament either. And I don't have time to uh, address that foolishness. So notice the saved, even though they are physically dead, they are still considered living in the eyes of God. And of course they exist. But notice that the dead, like the rich man, was still spoken of as if he existed. He was just in the state of death. And so Revelation 20, verse 7 says, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and encompassed the camp of the saints about the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast... And the false prophet were? Is that what it says? Or are? So this is where they are. And shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Hey, can we at least believe that the devil's going to be tormented day and night forever and ever? Hey, I, we all like that part. But folks, what did it say before? When it talked about being cast into hell, prepared for the devil and his angels. The place that God prepared for the devil and his angels is where the lost are going to go and the devil and his angels are described as being there forever and and so are the lost so so, i I don't like this well you know what I, i hope this sermon has made everybody so mad that this afternoon everyone just goes out and gets somebody saved because honestly that's really all you can do about it you know what i know we live in america but your outrage doesn't change reality and our country, that's how they act whenever there's something they don't like. They think, you know, they try to cancel people and by showing outrage and, you know, acting like you know, virtue signaling and all that stuff that people do in our culture. Guess what? God is not influenced at all by any outrage that you feel. Just, if you don't like that, if you don't like that people go to hell, just go stop as many people as you possibly can by telling them to look and live by telling them about jesus that's all that that's all we can do about it and so death does not mean one ceases to exist just as god the son did not cease to exist when he was dead for three days people just keep redefining these words and then they refuse to let the word of god put thoughts in their head i mean what, 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 what am i supposed to think when the bible says thou will not leave my soul in hell nor suffer thine holy one to see corruption what am, what what am I supposed to think when I read a passage that says that God loosed him from the pains of death? What am I supposed to think when I read that? And people are going to call me a heretic, you know, or talk, say I'm, you know, it's blasphemous teaching. It's like, I'm sorry, I don't know how else to take those words. Okay? It would be like if I went and I just called you, you know, I called you ugly, I called you stupid and told you i hated your guts and i hope you die and then when you get offended by it it's like well you don't understand what that really means is i i love you and care about you and i want great things to happen like, and you're stupid for thinking that i hated you after all those things i said i'm sorry you know those words have meaning (laughs) those those words do have meaning and it's the same thing with what we're seeing in the scripture these words have meaning and you know forgive me if i Follow them according to their usage, according to their definitions. Uh, I, I, I'm I'm sorry, I just I'm not gonna let people shame me away from that. Matthew ten twenty eight says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And people will use this to prove that we cease to exist in hell. But why do you just assume this means that the soul ceases to exist? Why can't it just mean that your soul and body is in hell, or that that is destruction, like we have seen throughout the scriptures? That is destruction. Says if we only had a scripture to show us that hell is destruction. Oh wait, we do. Job twenty six six. Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. Psalms or Proverbs fifteen eleven. Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more than the hearts of the children of men proverbs 27:20. 20, hell and destruction are never full so the eyes of man are never satisfied why would it say it's never full i mean because you would think with all these people going into destruction right that it would, but no it's just it can it can handle it it can take it can take everyone and they are there no matter how many people are in that state of destruction They are there. They are in destruction. There is nothing in the Scriptures that leads us to believe that this destruction means they cease to exist. That only comes from theologians. So, the destruction of the soul and body and eternal damnation implies a finality that understand once you die without Christ, there is no changing that state of death that you will be in. This will be your existence for all eternity. That's what that means. And so, what, we, what we're going to do, you know, or what should we do with these unpleasant facts? There's really only a few options because your beliefs and your opinions will not change the reality of the situation. You can either get mad at God's righteous judgment, but remember, you have a heart that is a wicked and deceitful above all things. So, again, I don't particularly like it, but I'm also very sinful. I'm not holy. So I struggle with being fair and just, you know, I, I struggle like everyone else with pride and being self-centered and, and things like that. And so when I see a holy God saying, this is righteous judgment, you know, who I, I'd, be, I'd be pretty ridiculous and be pretty sorry for me to just look at God and say, well, you know what? I think you're wrong. Mm, that's uh, you know what? I'm just going to trust him. I think that you know, so I, that you can do that, or uh you know, you can just trust what God says, even if you don't understand it, and just accept the free gift of eternal life, and even if you, even if you don't fully comprehend His ways, and guess what, none of us can fully comprehend His ways. He said, "Your ways are not My ways; My ways are higher than your ways." So you know, just just believe. It's not like it's not like He made it hard. He He didn't make it hard to get eternal life. Another thing you can do, you can just let this truth motivate you to tell others, which is exactly what you would do if if you really cared about people. You would tell others. Jude 1.21 says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I don't know about you. I'm not going to try to understand it. I'm not going to sit around with a bunch of theologians and figure out a way that we can uh, make eternal judgment, not eternal judgment, figure out a way to make hell not as bad as it, as it sounds so we can you know not offend people out there. You know what I'm just going to do? I'm going to believe what God says about it, and I'm just going to tell as many people as I can how to avoid it. And I'm going to proclaim, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Hallelujah. Jesus saves. So that, let's pray here, Lord. Thank you so much for the warnings that you've given us in the Scriptures. And Lord, thank you even more for uh, overcoming for us and, and freely offering us the gift of eternal life. Uh, Lord, we thank you so much for it. And Lord, I, I did not preach this message to uh, depress anybody, but Lord, hopefully this motivates everyone to tell others. And if there's, if there's one who's not even 100% sure they're saved, I pray they'll get that assurance of their salvation. This isn't something we want to mess with. It is serious, and so in your name we pray. Amen.